hymn speaks, It Is Well, speaks of peace. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight as we finish our four-part look at Isaiah chapter 9-6 this evening, a messianic text about our Lord and uh, speaking specifically of uh, his impact as he came as a child. It says in Isaiah 9-6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That last phrase, that last description, that title for him, the Prince of Peace. Everybody's looking for peace. Uh, not everybody is looking for the same kind of peace. And when it comes to whole countries, rulers feel the, the burden of trying to bring peace. Sometimes they do that through uh, drastic measures. More than a hundred years ago, Vladimir Lenin's Bolshevik party overthrew Russia's imperial parliament. Uh, they had been, he had been heavily influenced by the writings of Karl Marx, the teachings that had become popular regarding communism, uh, and the idea of the disbursement of resources uh, from uh, the many to the few, so that there was a, sort of a balance of wealth, if you would. And many people bought this up. Uh, Lenin was one of these. Uh, the Bolshevik leaders appointed themselves to many high offices during this time period in October of 1917 and started implementing communist practices right away based on Marx's ideology. Finally, the Tsar of Russia was dethroned, and Vladimir Lenin returned to Russia after he had been exiled because he was trying to impose some anti-Tsar plots. And there were other revolutionaries around the same time. Leon Trotsky also came back to Russia, looking at this as an opportunity uh, for him to establish some power and influence. And together, Trotsky and Lenin established this Bolshevik party, a communist party that was staunchly opposed to the war, which continued to wreak havoc on this unstable nation. You know, and when people are going through times of war, they're, they're desperate often, and they will look for options that may not be the best options, and that is definitely true of what happens here. And so the, the, uh, the people of Russia uh, bought into this, at least in part. Lenin used this uh, momentum to overthrow the provisional government that had been set up, take control of the country, and he was able to pull Russia out of the war. And also... Uh, you remember your history, you might remember that Lenin promised three things, bread, land, and peace. And of course, this was a very appealing message to the masses that were reeling from the havoc of war, loss of life, uh, many families having lost their young men during this time. 
And so initially, the Bolshevik Communistic Party was wildly popular. And uh, Lenin, of course, didn't wait to get a majority, even though he only had about 25% of the votes in that year's election. He used force, military force, to ensure that he would uh, be seated and overrun, overthrow the Democratic Assembly that was there. But Lenin's ideas uh, were flawed, to say the least, really, uh, even though his influence was powerful. And he was a very powerful man. The peace envisioned by the people of Russia never came. Uh, it never really materialized like they had hoped. Now, for us, we're, we're very blessed to live in a land where the government approaches peacekeeping, at least so far, in a much better way. We don't know how much longer uh, our government will be preserved. There's nothing to say that we as a nation won't someday experience what Russia went through. Uh, we need to be thankful. We need to be in prayer for our country. But the peace that I'm talking about tonight isn't so much concerned with a national peace, so much it is a personal peace. Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, just think about that first word, Prince. That means he's sovereign. He, he has governmental authority, if you would. And is therefore, he's able to invoke a peace over the realm in which he rules. Again, when he returns the second time and sets up his millennial reign on earth, there will be a, a peace upon the earth that the nations really long for, the people look for in an international way. We won't have that until that time. But we will have peace. We can know peace in our in individual hearts. So what does Christ peace look like? Talk about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. What kind of peace might we know through Him immediately, right now? Well, I think we need to see that Christ has a way of ushering in a persevering peace. In Psalm 72.7, speaking of Christ, it says, In His days shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. That's an interesting analogy to compare the, the, the lastingness of peace to how the, the moon is. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, what, how does that relate? The, the lastingness of peace, the perseverance of peace, and the appearance of our moon. And one thought I had was that the moon, of course, appears during dark moments of life and provides light. Isn't that what peace is supposed to do for us? When we go through those dark moments, whatever that dark moment like, might be, and we use that in a, um, as a metaphor, it can be much like one of our dear families is facing right now, the Heron family and the soon uh, imminent homegoing of Sam to be with the Lord and there's turbulence there. There's an unsettledness there. That, that realize that you're not going to be able to have those same conversations like you're used to having. You know, we, knowing he's going to be going to a much better place. He's been 
going through some suffering for several years, really, and, uh, and that will all end. And, you know, everybody will rejoice with that. But it's still a dark time for the family in the being alienated, being distant from that loved one during that time. The dark moment could be a time of indecision, trying to come to some sort of uh, choice about a major issue in your life. And there may not seem to be all the cooperation that you need, may not have support from other people, uh, may not have the resources that you seem to need to make that choice come about. And yet, the peace of God can keep our hearts during those times. And so, what a great thing for us as we go out tonight, and we might be able to see the moon and say, you know, uh, just like that moon comes up and to be the presence of light during the dark times. So God's peace is there. Another thing about the moon is it faithfully returns to view at the same time of the day, or I should say the same time of night. So it's what? It's reliable. It's predictable. And really, so is the peace of God. If there is a, a need, if there is a problem, you can count on God's peace being there, uh, sufficing our every need. Say, well, I've gone outside and I've looked for the moon sometimes and, you know, it's a cloudy night. You know, you can't, it's dark, so you may not even always see the clouds, but you can't really see the defined circle of the moon or the crescent of the moon like you sometimes can. But the moon is still there, right? Even if it's obscured, we know the moon is still there and a lot of time, its, it's luminescence is still providing a diffused light to this world uh, during the, t- the nighttime hour. And so it is. We may not always have a pronounced sense of God's peace where it grips us and saying, wow, that's the peace of God. But nonetheless, God's peace comes along and it is there for us to help give us a tranquility, to help settle us. Something else that we can learn about Christ's peace and how it looks is that Christ brings a peace that reverses hostilities. You might just flip over to Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6. And this again is talking about uh, the time that the Lord will set up His kingdom on this earth. We know this because of some of the descriptions, like verse 6. We've never seen anything like verse 6 yet. But it is descriptive of what it will be like during that thousand-year reign of Christ. It says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. If this doesn't, doesn't describe an unprecedented peace, you know, I don't know what does. And all of these that are given to us, these, these pairings, if you would, of, of, of these entities getting along, ordinarily there is a hostility, at least one-sided. You know, a wolf and a lamb, a lamb is going to run away typically from a wolf. Why? It's a predator. 
Same with a, a leopard or a lion. And a little child is the most innocent of all. There's, there's not, you know, if you were going on a safari, you'd want someone that is, you know, a man that's equipped and he's got a, the big gun with the tranquilizers on it and things like that. But, you know, a little child being able to wander into this kind of setting with all these hostile animals and and the impl- and what is being implied here is it's not a problem. No one's going to be ripped to shreds. The little child is very safe in this situation. So this teaches us something about how God can and will reverse hostilities. And even though that's in the future, there are hostilities right now that the peace of God has a way of reversing. Interactions that are normally threatening that we find ourselves in are transformed into relationships of trust and calm. It's, it's a wonderful testimony of God's hand at work in a person's life to see someone who has been a criminal, for instance. And I've often alluded to uh, the, the discipleship opportunity that God has given to myself and a couple of the men in our church with a young man by the name of Zach Bay, and he would tell you that there was a time he was very, very angry, very hostile. Uh, you know, in one of his letters that he wrote to me from prison, and he would say early on, you know, if, if someone would, you know, try to take something, there would be this overreaction of hostility. Why? Well, typically it's tried to intimidate, like, don't ever try that again. And yet there's been a great change as God's gotten a hold of his heart. There's a peace that has come there, a transforming peace into his life. I've seen marriage relationships where two unsafe people just don't know what to do. And there is bickering and fighting. There's hostilities. They're at each other. And there comes to that point of surrender and letting Jesus Christ enter into that home, making him the head, looking to him, and transforming that house into a place of respite and peace. Only Christ can do something on that level. You see, hostility is rooted in the sin nature. It's ultimately rooted in the problem of pride, we think too highly of ourselves. We want our way. And so there comes the clash. There comes the hostility. This will be an overt demonstration of the calm that God can bring. You see, when God is at work, He is able to bring calm into hostile minds. I've met people that would describe Their minds just in constant turmoil. And I'll say, you know, bathe it in the Word of God. Meditate on Scriptures. Hide it in your heart. Spend time in prayer. And as that practice begins and is faithfully uh, gone through, time and time again, people have talked about how the the hostilities, the, the anger, the tenseness is washed away. Sometimes breaking forth in a hymn, just like we sang tonight. Sing to ourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
What is that? That's, that's worshiping Christ and allowing his peace to come in and to, to counter the hostility that may be just in our own minds. We're often our own worst enemies in that regard. God can bring calm into hostile relationships that have been brewing with mistrust. Well, you know, I can't count on that person. may not always be a, a marriage relationship. It could be a friendship. You know, there's, there's been a, a breach in that trust. You said you would do it, but you didn't. I was counting on you. You let me down. And so now there is a, with this mistrust, there is a hostility. You become cynical towards that other person. Sometimes we become what we call passive-aggressive. We begin to make statements towards the other person or in the presence of the other person that, that intimate that hostility. But yet the peace that Christ brings can diffuse that. He can bring calm into hostile motives that drive us selfishly to succeed. may never have ever thought about motives of being hostile, but you know if we're tenaciously and aggressively pushing forward our own purposes you know i want to succeed i want to be on top i want people to say great things about me there's often a hostility that comes right along a spirit of hostility if something comes in the way of reaching that goal so god does an amazing thing in the person of christ we're looking forward to this time when we're going to see unusual animal combinations. Folks, we can know the peace that reverses hostilities right now in our own personal lives and the lives of people that we're discipling and caring about. Thirdly, Christ harmonizes peace with the requirements of righteousness. This goes right to the heart of our salvation experience. Because we know that when we are... Born into this world, we are born in a state of being an enemy of God as a sinner. And it seems an impossibility that we could ever reach the plateau, the, the mark of righteousness that, that God demands. And in our own strength, it's true. We will never do it. But Psalm 85.10, love this verse. It says, mercy and truth are met together. And sometimes people say, you know, how do you reconcile, you know, truth? You know, you've got to stand for uh, the facts. You don't want to, you know, bend things, but, you know, yet I want to be merciful. And yet in Christ, there is an ability for these two things to, to coincide, to harmonize. The second part of the verse says righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You can't get more intimate than the idea of a kiss. And, and these two attributes of righteousness and peace may not always seem like we can bring them together. In Christ, we can simultaneously satisfy the demands of a righteous judge. That's how we picture God the Father, right? He's the, he's the judge. He demands righteousness. And we come short of that righteousness. But we can also come to a position of peace at the same time. How does this happen? 
Well, when there's peace, there's often a truce, right? When you have two warring factions, two warring sides. You say, let's call a truce. And when there's a truce, there's typically some sort of compromise, often by both parties. Well, you, we'll give up a little bit, you give up a little bit. Maybe we can meet in the middle. Well, there needs to be a truce in our warring with God as natural men, as lost people. But it's not because God needs to give up anything. His righteous standard is good. But yet, we'll never get to that place. We'll never meet those stipulations in our own strength. And that's where Christ comes in. Christ is the great reconciler. He's not only the reconciler like, you know, an arbiter. says, you know, let me convince you that you need to come over to God's side. Even if we're convinced, how do we do that? Christ takes the next step. He's like, you know, not only am I the reconciler, I'm the prince of heaven. I have regal standing. I'm the sinless son of God. And Christ takes off his robe of righteousness and he puts it around us. Blotting out our transgressions. Washing away our sin with his blood. Only Christ can do that. He gives us that ability to have peace. He meets the high standard. And then gives that righteous standing to us, which brings peace. That's where the peace comes. Not because God came down to us, but because Christ lifted us up to him. C.H. Spurgeon said this, The Lord whose just severity inflicted the smart, now in pity sends peace to bind up the wound. The people being now made willing to forsake their sins and to follow after righteousness, find peace granted to them at once. In other words, when he talks about being smarted, the idea of seeing the law, oh, wow, that hurts. God expects you know, absolute truthfulness, absolute fidelity. He expects absolute loyalty to Him. Just the, the two great commandments, love God with everything about me and love my neighbor as myself. How can I ever reach that in any meaningful way? And just reading those verses hurt because we realize how woefully short we come of God's glory in that way. And yet, Jesus Christ is the one that brings peace because he lifts us to that standard. You know, this comes to us by faith. This is, this is what happens inside of us, trust. When Romans 5.1 says, when we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if tonight you're trying to somehow measure up to God's expectations by trying hard, you'll never make it. If you're trying to earn a place in heaven by hoping you'll tip the scales of your good outweighing the bad, it'll never work. We can never reach that. But Christ alone says, have faith in me, trust in me. Receive what I have done for you. I went to the cross. I shed my blood. And when we just rely on him completely, then the Bible tells us we have peace with God through him. There's one more thing about the, the peace at Christ, and that is Christ pours peace into our lives when we feel abandoned. When Jesus was giving the disciples the promise of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit in John 14, he knew that uh, they might feel abandoned. 
he knew that he was getting ready to move on, at least in his physical form. In Acts chapter 1, we see that he does move on. He moves up, right? The ascension of Jesus Christ. Up he goes. They're left standing there. They're looking up into heaven. And the angel even tells them, listen, this same Jesus, as he was taken up from you, shall so come in like manner. But Jesus, in love and, to, and in his amazing knowledge, anticipated what these men were probably going to face. What had they enjoyed up to this point? Well, they really looked to Jesus for all the leadership of the group, right? And so, if they encountered skeptical Pharisees, who handled them? Jesus did. If they ran across needy multitudes, who really gave the guidance as to what needed to be done? It was Jesus. If there was an aggressive ministry schedule for the day to be kept, how was it that it stayed on point? It was Jesus, again and again. And on we could go, right? I mean, these men were followers. They were disciples. And so, for Jesus to now banish, you can imagine, they probably felt abandoned. And so Jesus prepares them with what he says in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. There it is, the peace, right? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not, and he contrasted here, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So you have to stop and say, okay, he's, he's saying all this stuff about his peace and how wonderful it is, but he also contrasts it with the peace of the world. So we have to stop and say, what is true of the world's peace? Well, one thing that's true of the world's peace is it's fickle, right? It fluctuates. You might have peace at one, I mean, over my 50 plus years, and many of you have seen much more of, of, of history in the Middle East than I have, but, you know, just in that time period, I've seen, you know, you know, a ceasing of fire in the Middle East in certain places, and there's peace, and then all of a sudden there's a, there's a bomb, and then there's this, and it's back, and then they're back to the tables again, and then they're talking, and then there's an agreement, and it doesn't seem like it lasts very long. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It fluctuates. That's the peace of the world, because it's why? It's derived from man. That's not the peace that Jesus gives. His peace doesn't fluctuate. His peace is not fickle. His peace is faithful. It does not taper off. It does not need recharging. It is steady. Christ's peace is sufficient. A lot of times, peace has been made between two individuals, but it didn't address every problem. There were certain topics that they didn't discuss. Why? Because, you know, let's just, let's just take it one step at a time, right? Christ's peace comes in and addresses every facet, every area, every low point, every burr that needs to be filed down. It does need to be sustained by our remaining in fellowship with Him, though. It doesn't, it's not going to lapse on His side, but we may walk away from that peace. 
we remain in the fellowship or we remain in the relationship, but if we're not careful, we get caught up in the world. We get a little too prideful and we walk away. And then we don't realize that peace. We don't enjoy that same peace. It's there for us. That resource is there for us. Because the Prince of Peace never abandons us. It is in direct fulfillment of this verse that the angels announced at Christ's birth in Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. The verse goes on there, but that's the word we're interested in tonight, right? Peace which then results in man having a reciprocal goodwill. Christ came into this earth. We, we, we have the ability to have a peace tomorrow as we wake up. No matter what's happening on the news, we can have a certain serenity about ourselves because we have the person of Jesus Christ. This would be the same Lord who later calms the storm there these fishermen are being tossed around like little play dolls in a toy boat and jesus just simply says a very key word here peace be still there's a comma there right peace comma be still calling upon the peace that he is the Prince of Peace, has complete discretion over, turns to natural phenomena, and says, for this squall, be still. If Jesus, and, and, and what, we're all fascinated with that scene, right? We look at that. Can Jesus not look into your life and see the storm raging in your mind? The fear, the anxiety, the disappointments, the concerns. Can he not say as the Prince of Peace to you, peace. And whatever the raging storm is, can he not say be still? He can't. Let's enjoy the peace that only Jesus can bring. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the peace that passes understanding. Thank you for giving us this peace. Thank you for being the Prince of Peace. Lord, may we not move away from the serenity that is ours in fellowship with you. Lord, for those tonight that are in trouble, in distress, Lord, I pray that they would turn to Jesus Christ, that they would bask in His presence, worship Him, enjoy Him, surrender to Him, and know the peace that he brings into that relationship. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.